You were listening to the newly named Mind Shift Podcast by Aaron McManus and Erwin Raphael McManus. I'm here with my dad, Erwin. How you doing? I'm doing so good. I actually love the name. It's a great shift from battle ready to, to mind, mind shift. shift. Because really, we always meant that the battle was in the mind. It is. The battle is in the mind. And then so I think it, it aligns with our core values of it being a podcast about the mind, body, and soul. And this, we're taking a season, we're focusing on the mind. We were, we've been trying to figure out what we're gonna call this thing and it makes so much sense now, mind shift. Why was it so hard for us to get to that name? I don't know, but I think it's also why it's so hard for people to like marry their best friend, right? It's like right under their nose. We couldn't even <laughs> think of it. Literally the book is right here, <laughs> mind shift. So here real quick, we don't do sponsors. We don't have sponsors. If you wanna sponsor us, you know what we should do this year? We should do a sponsorship t-shirt where it's like NASCAR, where like our the podcast mind shift would be on the front and then on the back, I'll be like have all the different sponsorships of like the different <laughs> brands that sponsor us. Mm -hmm. That would be sick. If you're interested, DM us. So Mind Shift is a book that is coming out. It is your book. It's your brand new book that is coming yes. out. Publishers are Convergent, which are a part of the Penguin Random House family. Yep. It's a big deal. Michelle Obama's book, Barack Obama, Jordan Peterson, they got a big family tree and it's pretty epic. And now you're on, you're a part of the family and it's cool that you get to be a part of it. It, the subtitle- They must be so excited. Michelle I'm, is, <laughs> I talked to Michelle the other day. She's like, Aaron, <laughs> mind shift. It doesn't take a genius to think like one. Mm -hmm. Pre-order it now. You can go to earlmcmanus.com and you can hit the pre-order button. We have a new website that should be launched by the time you're doing this. So. Mm -hmm. EarlMcManus.com might look a little bit different. And if it does, this is a good thing. We're also going to give away the book today in the podcast. We are. Well, actually, we're going to give away the galley. The galley, which is like kind of a no-no. You're not supposed to give away galleys. It's prohibited. Well, it's unedited. It's, it has all kinds of mistakes. If you want to get the book before it's actually perfectly refined right. and all the mistakes are taken out of it, this is for you. <laughs> so we did a little bit of a competition yeah. and we, we, you gave, we did a thing as a team, but you gave away something in the last couple of weeks called the Communicators Toolkit. We did. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I am so excited because one, I, I really think communication is the make or break dynamic in terms of elevating your capacity, removing the ceiling. And communication is, the singular most important factor to human life. Well, it is. Yeah, you cannot have a healthy relationship without healthy communication. You, you cannot have a healthy organization or company without healthy communication. You, you're never going to translate your values, your vision, uh, your mission to any group without effective communication. I mean, really, it's, it's the lifeblood of human life. I, I'm always thinking back to that game charades which I always hated. I hate it. And like, you know, growing up, you, you know, you hang with friends and people love to play mm -hmm. charades where you're not allowed to talk. You have to like mime things. The right. entire game is built around this one principle, singular principle of how do you communicate with others? Yeah. Right. And I, I hate that idea. And so stop playing <laughs> games with your communication, <laughs> go download the communicators toolkit. But really what it is, it's like an hour and a half of free content that we piece together from the art of communication and we packaged it and gave it away for free. So you can also download that earlmcmanus.com. By the way, is is a great test. Okay. Because a lot of people will say things like, oh, I really want to develop my communication gifts, but it's too expensive. Right. And really the, the price people are usually not willing to pay is the investment of the time. Right. So now you have this toolkit for free. Now it's up to you to take the time. Mm -hmm to actually not just listen to it, 
but integrate it. Mm. And if you access it and take advantage of it, you can go through it multiple times and actually begin to apply the principles there. And if you do this seriously, you will become a better communicator. Mm. You will become more effective mm. and you will begin to use words as a tool and you'll become master over your words. I think this is really important. It's really important. And so I'm excited. Today's the day we have a new name <laughs> for the podcast. We don't need, we just decided this right before we hit We record. just made a shift right before. We made a shift. Mind, Mind shift. shift. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is. Here it is. Mind shift by Erwin and Aaron McManus. And we are doing this thing. And I love the subtitle. It doesn't take a genius to think like one. And on previous episodes, we've talked about the dedication. We've talked about the the kind of the, the preface a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love this book. And we're going to do an entire book dedicated to just, or an entire uh, podcast dedicated to just us breaking down this book. And we're going to also kind of incentivize some things as well. So I'm really excited about the next few months as we're preparing for this. Um, but yeah, go and go and pre-order it now or McManus.com. I'm excited. Yeah, I sent a galley to one of my friends, uh, Jamie Kern Lima, and the founder of It Cosmetics. And yeah. if you know her story in eight years, um, her and her husband founded a cosmetic company and they sold it for $1.2 billion to L'Oreal. And just just really brilliant. And I sent her a galley and she sent me a note saying, I finished the entire book in one night. And she said, I couldn't. Could, I couldn't put it down. Mm. So it just kept pulling me, pulling, pulling me in. So it was, I'm excited. I'm excited for people to read it. It's uh, not uh, a dense book. It's a, it's, it's a deep book, but not a dense book. Look, I got really excited. The yeah. font was big. The font was big. The font was big. It's an easy read. It's a fun read. Uh, there's a lot of movement in it, and I, I really like that. You know, mm-hmm. it makes you feel like you're getting through the book really fast. It's also just one of those books I think that you can kind of continue to go back to back, going back to back. Mm-hmm. But the core concept and the idea of mind shift, I want to get into this a little bit mm-hmm. because I think that's the season of life we're in. This is where we're at right now. We are building. Um, so, but before we move on, we we have we had four, almost four thousand people download the communicators toolkit like within a few days. Yep. And we said when we got to four thousand, we would pick a winner and give this galley. We away. said when we got to four thousand, we're Almost there. We're going to believe we're going to get there. Okay. So I just got, so Austin is sending me a few different people to give this thing so away. So we're going to give one away. We're giving them away. All okay. right. So I think we're giving. Drum roll. Okay. Um, Juliet, I cannot say her. Marhofer Duggar. That's who we're giving this book away to. Oh, wow. Yeah. On Instagram. Juliet. Juliet. Juliet congratulations. Marhofer Duggar. So awesome. Hopefully you're listening to this episode. Yeah. And um, you'll get your galley copy. We're going to overnight it. Yep. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll overnight it. I don't believe in normal mail. <laughs> why, why, why does anyone want to wait? <laughs> All right, we'll get it too fast. <laughs> we'll get it too fast. Okay, we're, we're giving this thing away. Thank this is you exciting. for playing. We're, thank you for playing. We sh- should we do a little thing real quick on And for on the everyone IG? else who did not win, remember, let's celebrate someone else's joy, someone, someone else's, um, you know, benefit. So today we were going to talk about the idea of how to learn how to think and how do you think different? Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I think some of the things that I've really been thinking about is, you know, how is your thinking shaped and what affects your thinking and what, um, what, what are thoughts and frameworks that we get without even thinking about them? And, and when do we sometimes second guess ourselves, even when we're right? So yesterday, I was, um, we're in our second game of chess, me and Joe Smith were playing. And in that game, he actually should have checkmated me. If he had just moved his queen to a certain position, he had my king in check. But 
he was so worried about a stalemate that he overthought it, made a different move, and I got a stalemate. Oof. And I was able to put my king in a very safe spot where he no longer had to move. And I said, Joe, you had a checkmate. And he goes, I saw it. And I, I, I saw that I put your king in check, but I was so worried about a stalemate. I think that's what most people do. I think they actually have a lot more insight, a lot more um, in, intuition, a lot more intelligence mm -hmm. than they're aware of. But they overthink things. They don't trust their instincts. And they actually make the wrong choice because they don't trust themselves when they're making the right choice. Mm -hmm. And, and so today when he walked in the room, I said, I have a new nickname for you. It's, it's stalemate. And That's, <laughs> way to just define someone by their worst moment or by just an average moment. Well, it's because I know that you're, you're establishing the internal structures. So I'm, I'm, I'm playing the next game right now. <laughs> right. You are, you are that you are, you are kind of a mental bully when it comes to games. Like you're you, no. it's not, no, it is not enough for you to win. You have to, um, you have to you have kind of to intellectually destroy them before you, before you get there and that's a part of your advantage because when you don't talk and when, like it's so interesting because like when, if we have a game where you're not talking trash i have a higher chance of winning but if you have a game where you're talking trash the whole time it's something about like i like i've gone to therapy for this i feel like it's, it's a triggering of of my childhood like you have like you you were you, i was having an experimental child and you played some mind games with me early on and only to make you better I never did anything. Nah. No, 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 no. I was just trying to pour out everything I could into your life. But with that said, right? It, like the way that I think is, you know, I, I was I've been reading this book called The Five Tools, and it's mm -hmm. with Phil Stutz, and I think it's yeah. Michael Barry or Barry Michael. There's two authors, <laughs> but essentially it's like the mentor and the mentee. And Stutz has an amazing documentary on Netflix, yeah. and Beautiful. it's been out for a while, and I love it. Jonah Hill directed it. Mm -hmm. It's him and his therapist essentially. They talk about the tools, they talk about mindset, and they talk about kind of this idea of what he hated about um, or psychiatrists, were that every time a patient came to them, they were kind of told and taught to lead them on a journey mm -hmm. into their past. Yeah. And he's like, but the detrimental side of this is that it, it, it really brought a lot of pain to the, the people who needed help in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have the time to wait two, three, four months to journey into my past. I need some tools right now to combat the anxiety, the depression, the frustration, and maybe the, the trauma that they were dealing with from their past. And so he created these tools. I think so much in the time that I've done therapy that, that you know, it gets, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's my mom's fault. Cool, it's my dad's fault. Great, amazing. What do I do with that? You know, how do I take it to a place? Because I'm not even blaming, but it's like, of course, it's the environment in which you live. So, so much of the way we think is determined and based and built around the ecosystem that we grow up in. I think I grew up in a great ecosystem that every person has something they're struggling with or trying to fight through. Mm -hmm. So how do you build a healthy mental ecosystem for young people or your kids? You yeah. start there. Yeah, I, I think some of it is you have to decide what you take from what you've been given. Okay. And I look back on, on my childhood and I chose to take certain things and they helped me, uh, most of them helped me in a positive way, even though there was an overwhelming amount of experiences that were negative. You know, so with my grandfather in El Salvador who raised me for the first years of my life, he taught me how to play chess when I was three. Uh, he never let me have a move. I would cry because I was three, four, five years old. So of course I'd cry when he beat me in 10 moves or nine moves or 11 moves. And, mm -hmm. 
And I'd say, Poppy, let me move. And he goes, when you earn a move, you can have one. And so early yeah. on in my life, from the very beginning, I was taught that life doesn't give you anything. Yeah. That you have to earn the move if you want it. And it became, I, I'm really grateful to my grandfather. He's maybe like ridiculously competitive, right? And to the point where he, he shouldn't have felt competitive against a five-year-old. Mm. But he, he would say to me, I have too much respect for you to not bring my best against you. And it was a very interesting framework. It was both a, um, a ruthless approach of going, you have to fight for every move, but it was also an incredibly empowering approach saying, uh, I'm not going to treat you like you're less. I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy you because I believe that you're one day going to be my equal yeah. or maybe even my superior. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm not as good a chess player now, but uh, at, you know, when I was at my peak, I was a really good chess player. And, and I can owe it, I owe it all to my grandfather teaching me how to think in that environment, mm -hmm. but it translated to other places. It wasn't just on the chessboard. He taught me how to think tr strategically. He taught me the relationship of cause and effect. He taught me that I could actually think in complex patterns and move multiple pieces in life at the same time. And, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And I just think of like little nuanced things, like I'd be leaning against the wall and my grandfather would say, never lean against the wall, stand up straight. When you lean against the wall, it, it's, a, it's a sign of weakness. Yeah, he taught you to lean right up. He would tell you to stand right up against the wall, but never lean on it. That's right, so it would drive people crazy. <laughs> so he, he not only taught me how to have internal frameworks for myself, but he would say, these frameworks will also impact the way other people think mm -hmm. and relate to you, which I thought was interesting. But he also, um, I was five years old and he brought out maps and he showed me how the Soviet Union and um, and Alaska were interconnected, Russia, you know, and, and US, and how the Bering Strait was actually um, a path that was um, walkable, and how the Asians came across, migrated North America, Central and South America, and that those were our ancestors. Hmm. And so he taught me global migration when I'm five years old. And then he said, when you go, when you go to the United States, they're gonna misidentify you and misdefine you. They're gonna tell you you're an Indian. And he goes, and, um, and when they tell you you're an Indian, you do not accept that definition of who you are. He said, there was a man who traveled to the United States. He thought he was in India, Christopher Columbus. He, th he thought it was in India. And so the native people were called Indians. Why should you be defined by someone else's mistake? Wow. And, and so he always taught me to look at the truth behind the story. And, and it, he really raised me to never accept the assumptions that are given to me um, about truth, about reality, about the human narrative, about my identity and who I am. And, um, and you know, just all these little nuances he even taught me how in the United States, there's like five different ways to say water. <laughs> and he goes, in New York, they say this, in Boston, they say this, in the South, they say this. And so he taught me that one word can be expressed in multiple, multiple different ways, depending on the culture. And I'm thinking, I'm five, six, seven years old, and this is what he's teaching me, and I realized what he did. He taught me as if I was an adult, hmm. and he treated me as if I was capable of learning, and he never spoke down to me. And because he spoke at a level that was so high, I had to elevate, and I didn't know that wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. and, and when people ask, you know, about, 
where did you learn how to think the way you learn? I think some of it is, um, I, I could have focused on a lot of the stories I'm not telling mm -hmm. that are more negative and they f have more of a story of abandonment or, or um, disconnection or absence. Um, but I let those other experiences shape me. And your thinking process is not the result of what you've been through. Your thinking process is the result of how you respond to what you experienced. You talked a little bit yeah. about, and it's, it's, it's incredible. I think, no, I think it's really good. I think you, you touched on something and we don't have to go there, but mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you talked, you, you said you talked about abandonment, right? Yeah. That's something I deeply struggle with. Mm -hmm. Right. And I had two parents that were around a lot. Um, but knowing you, that's something you've struggled with too. Mm -hmm. And that you say it's not the thing that it defines you, but the reality is that no matter what, we may not be, def why should we be defined by someone else's mistake? We are always in some form or way um, uh, informed by informed, it, shaped by it, shaped by it yeah. and, 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 you know, destroyed or built by yeah. other people's mistakes. And so how has that affected you and how have you found a way to get past it? Because we talked about this the other day. I was like, if I hear you talk about the dad you don't know anymore, mm -hmm. I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> you know, it's like, why are we still so defined by our last name being a thing? Because we've talked about this a lot. We're like, our, everything mm -hmm. is, that we do is named McManus, but that's not really our last name. No. That was your stepdad's last name. And, so and it have, wasn't even his name, it was an alias that he took on. Right, and I'm like- It's the name of a stranger none, none of us know. <laughs> so we are quite literally defined by someone else's mistake. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and that's been something that has mm -hmm. always been hard for me to, to identify with. So yep. I wanted to talk about abandonment. Yeah, I, well, I mean, for me, one really significant effect of being abandoned as a child is that I made a conscious decision to never abandon you or Mariah, your mom. Right. And uh, it's very hard to break generational patterns. The reality is both me and your mom should have left. She has a history where, of brokenness and abandonment and dysfunction. Uh, you know, I, I have a history of uh, marriages not lasting, of abandonment, of, um, of that kind of damage um, across my family that's normative. Mm -hmm. And so I had to make a decision that e even if I couldn't be the best dad in the world, I was going to be the present dad. Like I was never going to leave. Yeah, you can always be around. Yeah, and and I think that is one positive thing of that. And and ironically, you know, I probably overcompensated in some ways by um, just always wanted to make sure that I was there for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And on that side, I think we became best friends because of it. Like yeah, you know, Mariah lives down the street from us because of it. Yeah, we did. You know, did. we're we're a tight family in that because of that. Yeah. And um, and one of the things that came out and I actually talked about is. Uh, the multi-generations of divorce was going to end with us. Mm -hmm. You know, the multi-generations of that level of brokenness ended with us. Unfortunately, our, our dam had holes in it. And so a lot of our dysfunction still passed on to you guys, you yeah, know. But why is dysfunction the thing that oftentimes <laughs> defines us first? Because there's so, there was so much more function than dysfunction, right? Like yeah. my parents were some of the only parents that I know that are still <laughs> married, right? You've yeah. been married for almost 40 years. Yeah. Like that's a feat in and of itself. Yeah. I don't think I know anyone who who have been married mm -hmm. for that long. I, I think it's because the human spirit's very tender. 
Right. You know, I mean, I actually think it's because human beings are incredibly, incredibly pliable and and tender and moldable and um, and pain affects. And even if it's, you know, not the level of pain that someone else had, that pain still affects you. Mm. That's why when somebody's comparative and goes, yeah, but you haven't been through what I've been through, it doesn't matter. Mm. It, you know, whatever amount of pain you've experienced, it's real. Mm -hmm. And you have to process that and deal with that. And if it hits you in a really vulnerable time in your life, mm -hmm. and then it makes you question your identity or your value or your self-worth, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it goes in deep. And it, I don't think that um, it always has to be the kind of dramatic trauma that everyone expects. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, I do know this from a neurological perspective that human brains are not the same. Some people's brains are more like trucks and some people's brains are more like lamborghinis mm -hmm. and if you have a truck brain you may not have as much pliability for innovation or creativity or invention but you're really resilient your brain just it doesn't take on the same level of damage mm -hmm. and then if you have a lamborghini brain you have more potential for innovation creativity imagination intelligence but your brain is really really fragile mm -hmm. and it can be really damaged by, by even smaller trauma mm -hmm. and uh, one of our uh, new friends who owns a company uh, called Kiersey, um, his name is, um, Ed, he was telling me, he goes, hey, um, there's a certain Myers-Briggs personality that's most likely to have struggled with OCD and it's the ENTP. And he goes, that's the pattern where OCD is most common. And he goes, and on the upside, <laughs> this is the upside, the higher the intelligence, the worse the OCD. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. you, you know, and so then you have you have the the, the dark and the, the shadow and the light of it. Mm. You know, the, the light of it is you have a high level of intelligence, which gives you great capacity. And you also have a high level of maybe dysfunction, brokenness that that's possible. Mm. And it's more easily to be fragmented mm -hmm. in that. Um, and, and that's why it's just better not to judge people and it's better not to compare that it's just saying um we all need to find our own resilience mm -hmm. we, we all need to find our own way in that mm -hmm. um and we have to choose our memories if if all your memories are the negative memories you will be damaged by your past mm -hmm. if you choose your memories and start selecting positive memories it's amazing how you'll actually get built up by your past mm. And I had to do it super consciously in my life. That's such such a unique, and I'd love for you to talk about that even more, but like this is such a unique way of seeing like memory selection, right? Because mm -hmm. it really is the things like if we, we've talked about this a lot in, in the different, I mean, I, I can't even remember now because we've done so many different masterminds and then we mm -hmm. go to church and then we're doing podcasts. I don't yeah. know where I'm getting our content anymore. <laughs> I have like a running list of notes that I just take and go, okay, mm -hmm. this might be good for a podcast or maybe just this one phrase. And, and you know, you talk about memory selection and I think, uh, one part of, of growing up and even doing like self-work and like deep work with like whether it's therapy or whether it's a life coach or whether it's like a pastor or someone in your life, I think the the reality and I think it has to kind of non you have to be a non-pastor because I think you can't bring judgment to a space. Like a therapist <laughs> needs a little bit more judgment and a pastor needs a little bit less. <laughs> you know, and we laughed because we said the other day, you're like the difference between a life coach and a therapist is a life coach is supposed to tell you which direction you're supposed to go to. And a therapist <laughs> is supposed to help you like process, right? Mm -hmm. um, and 
but memory selection is so important, right? It, we talk about, uh, you know, when you're driving a boat, you're not supposed to look at the rocks. You're supposed to look at the open space in the ocean. If you look at the rocks, you're most likely going to hit the rocks versus yep. the open ocean. It comes with the F1 drivers or anyone who's doing anything like uh, specific, tar specifically targeted in that way. Mm -hmm. But for us, it, I feel we're, we're so, as humans, we're so naturally look at the rocks versus the open sea, right? And I think that is, I, I think you've put your, your finger on the exact problem with religion is that even when people are well-intended in the church, they put so much focus on the rocks, on all the sin. Yeah. In fact, even one of the, you know, um, encounters we had recently with a group of men, one of them said, hey, you need to like look at the sin line. And, um, and you addressed that. I did address that because that's looking at the rocks. Right. And, and even though I know it's well-intended and there's probably some merit in that way of thinking, it's that, you hit what you're looking at. If you're always thinking about sin, if you're always thinking about what you did wrong, if you're always thinking about what's not good about you, that's what you're gonna do more of. Yeah. And it's like, we have to create a different horizon, mm. you know, for ourselves. Right. And go, okay, I, I wanna look at the, the most heroic self, mm. the ideal self, the person I aspire to be, and that's the focus. Yeah, I mean, I've really, I've had a hard time fitting into church lately and, mm -hmm. and being a part of it and, and coming from like having led campuses and starting campuses. It's something that I hold dear to my heart and it's not something I ever want to leave. I, church is so important to me, but I think also spending a lot of time outside of it in the last few years, it's been really helpful for me to have uh, more of maybe a full, like uh, a full 360 view of life and mm -hmm. realizing how limited I I. I how limited I grew up mm -hmm. and the culture I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And I was exposed to so much because you made sure that was a thing. Mm -hmm. But even just such maybe rocky topics <laughs> that the world seems so natural, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it's, and it's in, a, in, a, in a, I don't want to say a broken way, but it's in an unfiltered way, right? Like I, I would say it's the difference of like church is like espresso and the world is like a, a French press. Like sometimes <laughs> you have grounds and coffee and yeah. there's the little like, sediment that just makes it into the coffee and they just go, yeah, but that's, that's just life. Yeah. And you know, and I, and then in the church, it's like, well, if there's any imperfection, then that's not coffee. That's not acceptable. Yeah. And it is, and I have a hard time with that and I really do. And I always have, and I, I know I'm not the cookie cutter, but I, I, but I also maybe I'm just not a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but I, I think it's really important though, to one experience life, to find a broader outlook on life and to sit with other people who are very different, right? Mm -hmm. We were sitting with these group of guys and there's some guys who are, are really into plant medicine. There's some guys who are really into, you know, who are really into fitness. Some guys who are really just into being business guys, you know, and everyone in that group was super different. And I think we had like pods of people who were similar and mm -hmm. sitting with the different pods of people and hearing out why they found whether it's plant medicine or working out or, you know, doing whatever it might be important to them, they all found a value in it. And so who am I to knock the thing that sets their mind straight? Right. I do think it's funny though, that in, you know, I'm, I was alive in the sixties and we had plant medicine. But that's, no, that's not plant medicine. We, we called it different. pot weed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not going to, well, we can get into that if you want to get into that, but yeah. I would disagree with you on a lot okay. of that stuff. Like I, you know, all these guys are more into, it's like ayahuasca and yeah. it's like a different, a different yeah. thing, you know, but then you look at like, um, like, um, Huberman 
and he's doing a lot of and he's the head site he's the head is the head of medical psychology at Stanford mm -hmm. and he he put out an article yesterday talking about the like the positive ramifications of MDMA mm -hmm. given I don't think that's that I don't I don't think I think it's a catchy headline to like to release a you know and publish a, a research study sure but you look at it and you go I don't I don't look at that and go that's something I need to do but I don't look at it and go you know I'm not judging it. I'm just going, okay, how can I learn from you and make a healthy mm -hmm. decision about what I do with my life? Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of those decisions and, and experiences helped shape my mind. And I think that's what's been unsettling about being in religious spaces because I'm like, man, I can't be in a place where you can't ask questions. Yeah. You know? And that's also the why I love being in the tribe with you because you can ask questions. You can push back. You can go, this thing makes me feel uncomfortable or mm -hmm. unsafe or X, Y, Z. But, you know, the selective memory and even just the maybe like I went to we did a worship night on Sunday. I felt very uncomfortable. Mm. I don't like loud music. <laughs> I'm highly OCD and I have probably some like like um, volume issues with how I'm like my level of anxiety and what I can handle and take in a moment. Like I can only stay in for like a song at a time and I have to go and sit. And I sit in like the little lobby and I, you know, I just stand for a minute and I go back. Like I cannot be in conference level music. I hate it. It bothers me like it actually like it's not the worship it's the um the noise and i have like a hard time being and maybe it's like is that my anxiety is that my selective memory is that uh my inability to let go of maybe the things that i'm going through in my own life because mm -hmm. when i'm in the room i still have an emotional experience i still enjoy it mm -hmm. i still am able to witness and be like oh this is phenomenal or not you know i can make a healthy judgment <laughs> but what is it about us that maybe limits us to even the ecosystem that we're that we're able to be in because it feels like so oftentimes what happens in our childhood de really defines where we end up as an adult and it, oftentimes it's the opposite right mm -hmm. if you grew up in the church you're like i'm never going to end up in the church mm -hmm. right or if i didn't grow up in the church you end up hey i'm more curious about something that i'm unfamiliar with w what is that i think we attach particular emotions to different experiences okay. and we think it's the experience but it's actually the emotion Okay. You know, because okay. um, even there, I remember time, there were times where you were like a fully like integrated worshiper and you would, me you would measure other people's commitment, commitment to becoming a leader if they were able to worship effectively, freely and openly. Yeah. And so I think. Well, it's I do still agree. <laughs> I just know that maybe and it's like a self diagnosis going yeah. like, oh, I know I'm not in a place to lead and I haven't been in a long time. Mm -hmm. We've had, you know, I haven't been because maybe I can't worship the same way, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so I think it has more to do with like connection, you, you know? Okay. And, uh, but I do think people worship differently. And, and, you know, I think that there are people who worship more effectively in quiet rooms and people who worship more effectively in loud rooms and right. people who worship more effectively with a lot of people and some who worship more effectively with a very few people or, you know, almost alone, you know, mm -hmm. at times. and. And I don't think there's a right or wrong in that. I think it's just finding your rhythm and finding what's right and what works and what connects you to God. The methodology is not sacred. Mm. It's the outcome that's sacred. Yeah. You, you know, and I think sometimes we confuse the methodology and the outcome, you know. And but the methodology matters. It does matter. Yeah. It, it matters. I mean, and that's one of the reasons worship is really important. Um, you know, if you just want to even look at all the research on human frequencies, what happens when you're worshiping is that there's a connection to a particular frequency that opens you up and makes you more um, adaptive to learning new things. And I think it actually really 
connecting to to God and to his voice in your life. Mm. And um, I know as a speaker, when you have extraordinary worship, when you begin to speak and, and teach, it's a much more open room. People are just leaning in. Because it really does break down people's internal walls. Yeah, and maybe some of the uncomfortableness is that there are walls you don't want broken down right now. Yeah, maybe it's just, you, you know. Yeah, and I don't know, and I don't know what I've put behind. I mean, I know what I've put behind some of them. <laughs> <laughs> but some of it may be that you actually just don't really enjoy that level of stimulation anymore that you did when you were 22. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it, it, you change. People change. They, they, you know, they but grow. You've never they... been a, f a huge fan of worship. And... That, we don't have to talk about that. But, no, but mostly <laughs> yeah. because I don't think that's how you, you loud music in a big room isn't how you do it. No, I just know that people need it, and it's really important yeah. for their journey. And um, it's never been my primary way of connecting to God. Right, right. You know, but fortunately, somewhere along the way, I realized that my unique experience shouldn't be the measure of how everyone else experiences God. Yeah. And so I just want to create ways that people can connect, which leads me to a question you'd asked me earlier about human uniqueness. And, you know, that. I mean, some of the problems sometimes is that we try to find a very standardized solution for everyone, mm. a, a standardized solution for everyone's problem and a standardized solution for everyone, everyone's development. Mm -hmm. And not everyone grows the same. Mm. <clears throat> you know, we, we all grow differently. Like, I think for me, early on, people would say things like, um, I, need to, I need to experience it to learn, mm. like, you know. Like I need to go through it. I can't remember the phrases exactly, but you know, okay. like um, the implication was, unless I experience it, I can't learn from it. Yeah. And I always thought, I nah, have to make my own mistakes. Uh, yeah, I need to make my own mistakes. And, yeah, yeah. And I always thought, I have a better strategy. I like pain avoidance. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so right. I watch how bad decisions affect other people, and I decide I'm not going to make that decision. You know, I mean, there have been times where I touched a hot iron and I realized, you know, don't do that. Mm. And but if I see someone else touch that hot iron, I don't need to touch that hot iron yeah, to know it's going to burn me. I think the more complicated thing is when that like when the hot iron is a great uh, idealistic metaphor because it only hurts you. But there are things that make you feel good and then hurt you. And that's the more complicated thing, right? If the hot iron made you feel wonderful right before it hurt you. Right. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I think is 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 the hu is the human dilemma when it comes to like whether it's pain and pleasure and sin and and happiness and joy. It's like so oftentimes the things that that are so destructive to you are the things that make you feel um, elated right before. Yeah, I mean, that's a really profound insight because you now describe sex, alcohol, drugs, food. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think it's like it's all in that category. Every everything working out church. Yeah. You, there is no like addiction started in church. I, I have no doubt about that. That you you look at hysteria. You look at the psychological studies around hysteria. Well, I, around I'm going to push back. I don't think addiction started in church. I think addiction started in human. Well, then experience. OCD absolutely started in a Catholic church. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to my boy. There is Matt, a lot I of OCD was, in the Catholic church. I was yeah, to, to Matt Fagan on, on Sunday night when I stopped by and he went to uh, his brother goes to a Greek Orthodox church and I'm so happy for him. I love Mike and I love his wife, Sage. Wonderful people. Um, he was like, they were getting the baby dedicated. He was like, it was like a two and a half hour service. And he was like, they got up and went down and stood up and stood down and on their knees and the and then the prayers, the prayers, the prayers. And he's like, I'm, me and Matt, the funny thing, we were roommates for four years. We were both insanely OCD. 
and he was like my man my OCD was on fire. I was losing it. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't go back to the Catholic upbringing that, you know, is very similar in that traditional way. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up Roman Catholic, you know, as well. You did, and, right. Yeah. You but know. you were a true Roman Catholic. You only went to church on Easter and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but I believed. <laughs> and, uh, um, no, and I remember I prayed the same prayer over and over and over, and over again. And, uh, I, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I started doing the genophilic all the time until I had actually had a scar, a mark on my head and my mom would just like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. my OCD connected to my religious beliefs and right. I went out of control, Yeah, you, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I, ironically, I do think there is a connection between religion and psychosis and neurosis and right. all that dynamic. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's all that, it just means that there's definitely a relationship there but um going back to um well you pushed back on me you said religion isn't the core of addiction no religion is an expression of human realities it doesn't create the problems it contains the problems and when people go oh you know god is the reason why humanity is like so messed up i'm going if there is no god which is what they were saying then god can't be to blame for the human dilemma humans created god if there's no God. Right. And so then only humans are responsible for everything done in God's name. And yeah. so ironically, every dark, evil thing that's ever done in God's name are by people who are either delusional or don't actually believe in God. Mm. They're just using God um, as a, um, a very utilitarian channel to manipulate people to get their ultimate end. You know, I was listening to this you know. podcast um, I can never remember. It's by four hosts, I have three or four hosts. And, and the main guy is, is Chamath. He's like mm -hmm. a big VC guy. These guys mm -hmm. are from like 40s and 50s, like late 30s, 40s, 50s. And then I think there's like Friedberg and one other guy, but they're, but they're, they're really, really have a great rapport. They do it on Zoom. Um, they do a podcast a couple times a week. They talk a lot about the news, but a lot of it's in banking, Silicon Valley, VC stuff. They're all very wealthy. They all kind of come from a little bit different backgrounds of investor, like different roles in investments. Um, but Chamath was talking about, and it was an interview with him and one of the other guys and, and a third guy that wasn't a part of it. I think it was like a conference or something. And he gave this thing that the, the interviewer asked, what, what subject would you hope that your child goes and studies now with everything that's going on now with AI and all these new innovations? And he talked about how he would hope that his, his child would go into like mathematics or biology. And he talked about how, because if you take away all world, world religion and history mm -hmm. and everything that was written about the world, um, you know, you may not have, you, you, you'll find new gods and new religions and new history that's lived mm -hmm. and written about, but you'll never find new math. Math will still be the same. The discoveries with math will still be the same. And I, and it was interesting because they cut the clip off right after that. I don't believe that. His, his co-host, I think shook his head and kind of did like a slight like micro, like expression of like, he didn't agree with him. But, but it's interesting. I thought it was interesting because I'm like, well, obviously Chamath is, I think he's a, of an Indian or Pakistani background um, and doesn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. But I'm going, I don't know if I agree, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if math would be the same. Would religion be the same? Would God be the same? Would be the expression that we find God be the same? Well, it's interesting because it's, it reminds me of a conversation that was between Ricky uh, Gervais and Steve Colbert, Stephen Colbert. Yes, we talked to, yes. Where, um, you know, Colbert, who is a very devout Catholic, and yeah. Gervais was a very devout atheist. Yes. And he said, well, you know, whatever, a hundred or a thousand years from now, religions will change, but science will remain the same. And Stephen Colbert seemed like um, 
tripped up on that and he goes well that's a good point you know the whole audience cheered and i thought where has ricky been <laughs> because science has not stayed the same yeah science used to put leeches on people's bodies thinking that would cure them from cancer or whatever and you know science used to bleed people thinking that would make them better um you know science actually believed that newton was right and science keeps evolving a hundred years from now science will not be the same and um up to einstein we thought that matter and energy were two different things science did not remain the same hmm. um, even einstein's theories are already now being superseded and because science doesn't say the same in fact what keeps it science is that it doesn't become dogma it mm -hmm. actually always moves toward truth based on new discoveries new insights new information and so ricky is completely wrong a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now science will not be the same and when they look at math i look at math math is not the same when they in, when they discovered the the digit of zero it transformed math and when they discovered the realization of pi it transformed math when they be, began to understand so i have a question i have a question yeah so this is crazy because <laughs> the interview with chamath yeah i think friedberg uh he referenced stephen colbert and ricky gervais yes so in okay. his in the did i send the clip to you no oh it's crazy that's crazy crazy i didn't the, know the, the clip from that podcast is literally him talking about a moment with ricky gervais and stephen colbert and referencing Oh my gosh. That conversation. Well, let's, let's pull that clip we up pull and that have clip. a response to that. We absolutely should. Yeah. I but, have it on, on my TikTok. Was, Wait, second thing is, is this. Do you think that religion should take more of a, um, take this out of science as playbook? Because I think scientists, the whole point is that mm. you study, you study, you study, you do clinical research, and then you publish, right? Right. But with, with religion, it's that, or, or faith, right? If, if you're to talk about maybe the pure form of it. Mm hmm we know that we experience God in new ways. We know that we understand God in new ways. Mm -hmm. No, we're not publishing, I guess we publish books, but there's not like a concentric circle going, the Council of Nicaea where the Bible was put together and, and form, like put into a format, <laughs> right, for humanity. Mm -hmm. Are we doing that now? Yeah, it's always called heresy. <laughs> it's always called heresy, right? <laughs> and, uh, but it's like, so yeah, orthodox and heresy. And, but I will say too, that you will not spend your life searching for math but you will spend your life searching for love. And when you try to make the whole world mathematical, you're missing the most important aspect of being of the human experience, that humans are more than data. And we're, we are driven by our need to be loved and to love for intimacy, for connection, for relationship. Math doesn't solve all of that. And so he says, well, a thousand years from now, math will be the same. I'm going, well, maybe in a thousand years, AI will take over everything and the new expression of consciousness will be completely uh, robotic. And digital, yeah. But as long as humans are around, um, love will be more powerful than math. Hmm. Human relationships will be more powerful than formulas. And uh, so I, I do think that there should be like always a revisiting of faith in that sense, you know? Because um, the other day I was thinking about how I love science because science, when you have the, the proper intersection of science and um, let's say, what's the word we want to use? Religion, okay? Um, science forces religion to extricate all superstition. 
-hmm. See, I am so grateful that science forces faith to rid itself of superstition. Mm. I mean, superstition is as destructive as bad science. Mm. And, but I look back over the two years and I'm going, I don't know, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I, I just don't know if science knew what it said about the vaccine. I just don't know if science knew what it said about the pandemic, about the need for quarantines, about like, I look at it and I go, I think science was guessing. And sometimes I think science was lying because science isn't some Oz. Who is science? That's my whole thing. Like science <laughs> is so Oz pulling strings. Yeah. We're talking about scientists. And the reason religion is flawed is that religion is filtered through humans. The reason science is flawed is that science is filtered through humans. It's not that religion in its purest form isn't a source of truth. Just like it's not that science is not a source of truth when it filters out human opinion and the subjective influence. It's that, in a sense, both of them force us, when properly related, to move toward the truth as uncomfortable as it is. Hmm. So I, you know, we don't believe that we should be burning people at the stake because they're witches. We don't believe that when you put the woman into the river, if she comes up, she's a witch. If she drowns, she's not. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, some of the things that people believed in the past is just so insane. But I'm going, religion and science have both had their expressions of insanity. I mean, when they, when they would do frontal lobotomies on people and use electrical shock therapy and, and, um, and, and, and use physical torture to try to deal with surgeries. medical, yeah. like health issues. Science hasn't been trustworthy as you go through. And science has not created a better world. Right. Science created the bomb. Science created Hiroshima and Nagasaki, not religion. Mm. And so if you're going to say, oh no, religion always creates a, a more destructive world and science always creates a better world, I don't know what history you're in. Hmm. Religion and science are both dangerous because they're in the hands of humans. Hmm. And do I believe that there are, you know, there are experimentations taking place in the scientific community today that are unethical, immoral, and should be illegal? Absolutely. Hmm. Do I believe that there were gain of function experiments in Wuhan? Absolutely. Do I believe that scientists were performing experimentations that were already outlawed by our governments? Absolutely. Do I believe the Germans were doing things that were unethical, immoral, inhumane in the name of science? Yes. Do I believe the US government yeah. protected those scientists so that we would not lose that research and continue that research? Absolutely. Anyone who thinks that science is pure and religion is evil is distorted. Mm. Human you evil can, comes from the human heart, not from the discipline. Oh, that's so, so good. So as we kind of dive into this, I think, one, I think I would love to hit a topic every time we do this podcast and talk about a, a mind shift that we can have. Mm. So, right? I think that's, I think that'd be I interesting. Love that. So today's mind shift is, is really just the introduction to mind shift. It is how to think 
mm-hmm. or how to think and how what what shapes are your ideology and your and your viewpoint and and the way that you think and this is kind of that introduction so maybe next week we can talk about um, ways to improve your thinking and maybe a mind shift a topic of a shift that we could bring up and maybe we could talk about that and kind of go into that yeah i also like the, the questions you had about human uniqueness maybe we should dive in a little more into that next time we should and something that you said you talked about the important do you remember where we i think it was the i think it was the mastermind but was it from saturday or was it from two weeks ago you talked about the value and the importance of human uniqueness mm-hmm. and i think you know we've talked a lot about you know we're building these projects we're building this mm-hmm. art of communication community um, which i'm excited because it's the evolution of something like that mm-hmm. first year we didn't even know if it would work yeah and it worked yeah. and it was super cool and then we found that the best part of it was not just the content, but was actually the community that was built around it. Absolutely. And so now we're kind of in this place where we're going, we're asking these questions like, how do you sell? How do you sell a product that you believe in so much? And it's like kind of scary. And we wrote this number down. We're like, could we get it to 2,000 people in this community mm-hmm. where it's more about them mm-hmm. than it is about us giving them things? Yeah. It's like the engagement and like the, the, the constant like sparks and firing that you're able to kind of the combustible energy that's able to like happen inside of a room like that mm-hmm. or on- online, right? And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to explore the idea of mind shift and human uniqueness and all the ways that we can think better. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh this my crazy. gosh. So the, so the- So, so Austin just gave us a bit of information. Breaking news. Our first episode ever of Battle Ready was in your little office in the back. I think only had like a couch and we did an episode called How to Think. And here we are launching our new phase with MindShift, and we're talking about how to think. This is uh, so crazy. Oh, my wow. goodness. Austin's showing us a still. Maybe we should re-release the first one. No, 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 no. No? <laughs> please, please, Lord, no. Um, here's the cool thing about that. It comes full circle. This has almost been seven years of us doing this podcast. This podcast mm-hmm. is us being on a journey. Um, but now we're starting on a new one, and I'm really excited. So I love that. You're going to talk about all things mind body, soul, spirituality, politics. I'm kind of just trying to stay out of politics. It keeps my mind healthier. <laughs> if you watch the news, stop. <laughs> Read the news. Okay. If you have rated and reviewed this podcast at any point, um, leave us another comment. Let us know you're listening to this new podcast called Mind Shift. I'm very excited. Um, you know, shout out to Austin and the team that do this. It's really just Austin and me and you that do this. And it's, I'm excited to keep going. And we're going we're gonna to add some guests to this podcast. Yes, we are. This is the new commitment to the new pod yeah. is we're going to bring guests in. We're going to bring a lot of our friends in. Yeah. They've and been waiting. They've been waiting. They've been waiting for they've the invitation. Waiting. You are invited. Maybe we should bring in, maybe, we, I don't know, who should be our first guest? If I'm just going with my closest friends, I'm going John Gordon. John Gordon? John Gordon's my, it. John you know, Gordon's your guy. John Gordon's my guy. He's like, you know, I love John my Gordon. co-pilot. I'm going to pick, <laughs> I'm going to pick Edwin. Oh, he's my other guy. He's your other guy. You're right. But then I'm gonna we're gonna beg Paulo to see if he'll ever come you know, on the podcast. I actually thought I need to uh, ask his wife <laughs> if he can come on. If he can come on, we have a friend who's absolutely brilliant. Yes, and his insights would be incredible. I I love. He's a good friend of both of yeah. ours. But I love hanging out with Paulo. Paulo, I don't even know if you listen to our podcast, but you need to come on. You do need to come on. All right. All right. All right. Hey, this is fun. This is fun. I'm excited. This brings new life. Okay. See you next week. All right. Love you, buddy. Love you, Dad.